0: Praise the Lord. I want you to open up in your Bibles in 1 John chapter 5. We are coming to the end of our series this morning, yes? For the last five weeks, for the last five times I've preached, we looked at certainties for a child of God. Who knows there's a lot of uncertainties in the world? Uncertainties. The world is stacked with uncertainty. You don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. It was Benjamin Franklin who said you can only be certain of two things. Taxes and death. Taxes and death. And that's a poor state to be in if that's the only things that you can be certain of. Taxes and death. But we as children of God over the last five weeks we saw that there are things that we can be certain of. Which of is that Jesus is the Christ. Who believe that? Is that a certainty? we stand on that jesus is the christ he's our lord and our savior and we stand on that as a child of god we are also certain that we have eternal life who believes that he says it. john says it in that last chapter in this letter he says this i've written to you so that you may know you know this for sure you have eternal life we also know for a fact that if we pray what happens Come on, you've listened to the sermons. God hears us. He hears our prayers. Amen. And we have petitions with him. Our petitions is with the Lord. And then last week we looked into when he says, We know that a child of God, a Christian, do not sin. And and we looked at that, and that was a statement we said, Whoa, wait a minute. What does it mean? Are we sinless perfection by far not? That's not what he's saying. He talks about habitual sins. That if your nature changes, you don't do the things you used to do. And who do we have as a referee to help us with that? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us. This is why we need to have the Holy Spirit within us. He makes His dwelling place in us and He's like that referee. We all look at sports games. isn't? You see a sport game and there's a referee. Why is the referee there? He's there to keep the law. Isn't that right? He says there's laws that we've got for this game. And if you're not going to abide by the law, what's going to happen? He blows on that whistle. And what do you know? If the whistle blows, everything stops. We have the Holy Spirit. There is still law. I know we're not under the law, but there is still law in the Word of God. Now that you're a child of God, can you just go around and murder people? Can you? No. No. No, you can't because there is still law and the Holy Spirit is the one who is the referee there. That's not the only work He does. If you say, oh, Holy Spirit, that's the only thing He's going to do. No, no. The Bible is clear about things that He do. Today, we come to the end of this letter that He's written and we look at the last part of what we can know for certain. And we find it in 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. Follow with me as I read for you. He says, and we know. Everybody say no. We know that the Son of God has come. Can you shout hallelujah to that? The Son of God has come. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true. Everybody say in. That's a positional word there. Can you notice that? We are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. What a wonderful word. Even if I close the Bible now and I get into my car, you hear me say it every Sunday, but I believe it with everything that's within me, is that we need to stand to the back and the Word of God needs to come to the front. Even if I say nothing now, my brother, my sister, my friend, the Word of God needs to speak to your heart. And His Word was read publicly today. Let's thank Him for that. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We treasure Your Word. Your Word gives us what is in Your mind. It explains to us the preceptive will that You have for us and Your decretive will. And Father, this morning I pray that Your Word will not go out and return back void, but will accomplish everything that it's been purposed for. In Jesus' name, Amen. So John says to us something that we can be certain of today. He says that we know the Son of God has come. That is the Messiah God with us. And if you sit here this morning and you proclaim to be a child of God, a Christian in this world, in this cosmos, this is the critical part that you need to hold on, is that the Son of God has come. This is important to know. Have you noticed what title he uses here? The Son of God. Remember, Jesus used for Himself most of any other title, because He's got many titles in the New Testament. The most used title by Jesus for Himself is what? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. You remember when Job was crying out back in the day. He said, God, who is there who can reach out from the earth up into heaven? There is none in Job's day. There were none. But then... The Son of God, which shows Him from heaven. That's why it sits from His deity from heaven, reaches out down from heaven to earth. How did He do that? John chapter 3 verse 16, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. From where did His Son come? From above. The Son of God came. So from God He reaches out by sending His Son. From the earth, when Jesus came on the earth, the Son of Man reached from earth to heaven. He is the intermediate between us and God. He's the high priest. He this morning stands and he sprays on your and my behalf. He intercedes for you. Now John says here, he says, We know that the Son of God has come. The one from heaven has come. And that, my friend, my brother, my sister, should make you so happy, so joyful above anything that you can get. If they come to you and say, there's a check for 30, 50 million dollars, that's rubbish. You say, oh, it's going to give me a good life. No, it's not. It's going to corrupt you. But the one who's going to give you that joy is only the Son of God. That's the one that He says this morning has come. And He says, we know this, that the Son of God has come. And this Son of God has come, affirms the incarnation of the Divine Son. That is what John is confirming for us. He affirms that. It shows the deity in a human body. That is what he shows. You say, so what? I come to church every Sunday, preacher. I sit here, I listen to sermons. My prayer this morning is that the Lord will grab your heart and open it up so that the Word of God can come in because it will change your life if this word come and in living you, because the word says for himself in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, he's living and powerful. That's what the word of God is. And what is it? It is sharper than a two-edged sword, which cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. That's the most powerful thing on the earth today. You say, wait a minute, what about a nuclear bomb? That's the most powerful thing they say. But that doesn't even come close to the word of God. This affirms the incarnation of the Divine Son. But people have got different ideas about Christ today. Have you noticed? I mean, James does a lot of street work. He can tell you this. If you go out in the street and you ask people, Who's Jesus? They ask this to the Jews. Traditional Jews say, The Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah have crossed the line out of the Jewish community. That's what they say. If you believe in the Messiah, there's a line. And you've crossed out of the Jewish community. I will say to those Messianic Jews this morning, it's good that you've crossed out of that line. Would you agree? Oh, but we are Abram's children. We are under Abram's blessing. Abram's blessing is nothing without the Son of God. This is what they say. Reformed Jews today says... For us in the Jewish community, anyone who claims that Jesus is their Savior is no longer a Jew and is a deserter. I want to say this morning, if you are a Messianic Jew and they call you a deserter, you're in good company. Because Paul was a deserter, according to them. Peter was a deserter according to them. They killed them all. James was a deserter according to them. You can go down the list. Matthias was a deserter according to them. And then our Lord Jesus Christ Himself to them was a deserter. So you're in good company. You say, oh, oh, but preacher, when I go into the world and I proclaim the name of Jesus, oh, they persecute me. Brother, sister, friend, sir, madam, you're in good company if you're in that deserter's company. Let them call Him whatever they want to call Him, man. We call Him what? We call Him Lord. Come on, let me hear you say that. We call Him Lord. He's the Lord of my heart. He's the Lord of my soul. He's the Lord of my life. And you call me a deserter? You know, I'm not going to point finger at you. I'm not going to point my tongue at you. I shouldn't do it in church. But I'm going to tell you what? I'm going to pray for you. So that He open up the understanding of your intellect and your mind and your heart so that you can see who he is. Islam has got another view of him. Islam says that Jesus is known as Isha according to them and, and you spell it a different way as well. He's, uh, who is one of God's most important prophets, they say, but they deny he is God. What what did John say? We know who came? The Son of God. Islam do not believe that God had a Son. We believe that God had a Son. They deny His deity this morning. This is what the Quran says in Quran 9 verse 30. He says, oh, you read the Quran in church? Yeah, listen to this. He says, and the Jews say, this is written in the Quran, the Jews say, Uzair, which is Ezra, is the Son of Allah. And the Christians say, Messiah is the Son of Allah. Let all the Christians put up their hands. Can you? All the are not you a Christian? All the Christians put up their hands. Thank, you, brother. You're a Christian. I'm with you. They say we, all of us, say the following: the Messiah is the son of Allah. Aye, that's wrong. We don't believe in Allah, but we believe in Elohim. Yes, but they say this in the Quran. That is a saying from their mouths. They imitate the saying of the the, the believers of old. Allah's curse be on them. How they are deluded away from the truth. This is what the Islamists say. We need to pray for them. You know why? Because they are so lost. Uh, Somebody said to me they are deceived, but I say no, no, they are willfully deceived. Because the truth is out there. And the truth is in here, and the truth is everywhere, so that there is no excuse anymore. But they say that Muhammad was the final prophet and Jesus was only but one of the prophets. Hinduism today say Jesus was just a holy man based on his behaviors and his practices, Virtues such as tolerance, love, non-violence, self-sacrifice, humility are being held in high esteem and they consider these characteristics as holy men, known as a sadhu. So Jesus is one of these holy men according to Hinduism. And by this criteria for them, Jesus qualifies as Hindu saint, as a Hindu saint, on the basis of what He lived for and what He teached. But they are more willing, Hindus, to acknowledge Jesus as a divine being if He's not seen as a uniquely divine being. They don't see Him as as God, the one God. They see Him as a God. Hindus often worship many of these gods. I've met a man like that in New Zealand. He came to our services a few times and I preached the Word of God to him. You know what? The Word of God cut his heart. He came to me afterwards, after a few sermons. He walked up to me, he says, Pastor, you know what you preach? And it really cuts my heart. When I walk out of my house, at at my house as I leave, I've put up there, uh, you you know, a, a shelf. And on the shelf there are many, many, many statues that I worship. And every time when I go out there, I worship these statues as I walk out of there. And I say, so what? Did Jesus took them all away? He says, no, I can't throw them away. I've put Jesus up there with them. you know what I say, brother, sister, dear friend? I say, brother, I'll pray for you and I'll keep on preaching the word that it cuts deeper into your heart. Because you need to get rid of all of those idols. And by the way, Jesus is not an idol. He is living. And you do have a relationship with somebody who is living, not dead. I said to him, if those idols can't do anything for you, but the only one who can, is the living Jesus Christ and Him alone. Hallelujah. That is the Lord that we serve. So you know what I say these Hindus? They're not deceived, they're willingly deceived. Because the truth is out there, it's in your and it's everywhere. And then we continue into Buddhism. They say Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. They respect the fact that Jesus lived as a self-sacrificial life like a Buddhist. Self-sacrificial life and had compassion on those who were in spiritual need. While Jesus is seen as a wise teacher, He's not seen as divine. That's not how they see Him. And here we come and John says to us, we know that the Son of God has come. Brother and sister, you and I are so privileged sitting here this morning. We are so privileged. This is not a right. You're not sitting here because you are rightfully sitting here out of your own efforts or anything. It's because of the Son of God that you sit here. And we know that He came. The world rejects Him, but we can't reject Him. Because if you reject Him, you are lost. You are dead in your trespasses and sin. And He is giving us understanding. Now, He wasn't writing when He wrote this letter to that church, this beloved pastor, this apostle the Apostle of Love, John, didn't write it to them having all of these faiths and beliefs in mind that I just gave you. He was thinking of the Gnostics of the day when he wrote these words down. Because for the Gnostics, it was a foreign concept that a deity would come down in a human body in his day. It was foreign. They didn't believe that Jesus Christ actually was God with us, the Gnostics. Because they said, God is divine and holy, and we are, we are not pure And there's no way. There's a gap there. And there's no way. Look, God can have appearances on the earth, but He will not inhabit a man. That's what they say back in His day. And that's the teaching that started to go around all the churches and it started deceiving the people in the church. This is why if we go earlier into this letter, He warns them against false teachers and preachers. He warns them. So he was talking to the Gnostic. in 1 John chapter 2 verse 22, this is it. He says, "Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Now I've given you all of those other faiths before. Are they all liars? I didn't say it. You said it. <laughs> so don't blow me. They are all liars. They will kill you if you go up to them and say you are lying. Am I right? But it doesn't matter whether they kill they still stay liars. But now they're lying murderers. That's what will happen if they kill you. Yes? Oh, and that's deep, deep trouble, Green. If you're a liar, it's okay. But if you're a lying murderer, that's deeper trouble. No, no. The Bible says if you sin in one, you've sinned in all. So here we go. He says, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Do you think today's message is really important? Come on, let me see. Do you believe it's important what I'm preaching about today? You need to hear it more. In fact, brother and sister, you need to teach this to your children. Because the Word is being watered down these days. You don't hear this anymore. And there's a new generation coming up. When you're going to ask them, who is Jesus... I'm going to show you what they're going to say. John says in this passage here for us, we know that the Son of God has come and He came to give us understanding that we may know Him who is true. That is what He came to give us. What? Understanding. Understanding. That we may know that He who comes is true. And Jesus provided insight for us into the deity. Let's just think about that thought for a minute. When Jesus came to this earth, what did He give us? Insight. Into the Father, into the deity, into God. That's what He did. Before Him, we had the prophets of the Old Testament. Did you know that? Before Him, it was prophecies in the Old Testament. We read in the book of Peter. He said in the book of Peter in chapter 1 that they were looking forward to what we have today. They didn't have the full picture. They were looking into a mirror. But when Jesus came, He gave us insight into the deity. He revealed the Father in His life, in His teachings, in His actions, in His death and His resurrection. This is why it's so important if you call yourself a child of God to study your Bible. Because if you want to know God more, this is where you find Him. In John chapter 14 verse 8, Philip said to Jesus, to Him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. Show us the Father. If you go to people in the world, they will say, show us God. Prove to us God. Isn't it right? This is what Philip, he says, we've got you here, but we want to see the Father. Show us the Father. And, and I love Jesus' answer. I love it Because He just makes the point here that John says to us that we know that the Son of God came. And what did He give us? He gave us understanding that we may know Him who is true, which is Jesus, and that we may know the Father. This is what He shows us here. Jesus said to him there in verse 9, John 49, Have I been with you for so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? Let's throw that on its head. Let, let me put your name in there. You go, whoops, that's personal. Yes, it is. But have you ever noticed the gospel of Christ is personal? It goes into your innermost where you keep people out. That's where He goes in. And that's where He needs to go in. So that you can get rid of all of those little creeping things that's around there in the darkness. The Bible says He is light. And when He shines His light into darkness my brother, my sister, all those little things runs away which, which needs to stay in darkness, yeah? It's personal, I know. But if he turns to you this morning, if Christ can look you in the eyes and he says, I've been with you so long, Andre, and there's a question mark after what he's going to say to you. I want to say, Lord, take away the question mark. There's no question in my mind who Christ is this morning, who the Son of God is. Is there a question mark in your mind? This is how you need to apply the Word of God to you personally. He says this to Philip. He says to him, I've been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me, what? Has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, the words, listen, listen, the words that I speak to you, where do we find the words of God today? Where? Who's got a Bible here? Lift it up, lift it up. He says the words that I speak to, that's the Rima words, okay? Because Rima means it's the living word. He had the Rima words with them. He was speaking to them the words. We've got today the Logos, the written word, and we've got the Rima, the living word. You say, how do you put the two together? Sorry, I'm talking too fast, but I'm excited now. You put it together when you read the Word of God and the Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit gives you understanding of the Word. That's how the logos becomes rima. And you say, I can't. I read the Bible and I can't understand it. Pray for the rima. Pray for the Holy Spirit to open it up to you. He says... Uh, you do not believe I am the Father and the Father in me. The words that I speak to you, I do speak, or, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. There's a lot of people in the world today who believe on the works. Nicodemus did that, you remember? Nicodemus in John chapter 2, the last few verses belongs to chapter 3. He came to Jesus, he says, we believe you're a, pre, you're a, you're a, a teacher a man of God. Why? Because of the work you've done and what did Jesus say to him? He became personal. He became so personal. I mean, here is a man, came to Jesus, he says, we believe you're from God, look at all the miracles and Jesus didn't even touch that. He says, you must be born again, Nicodemus. He cut right into his heart, he became personal with him. Nicodemus could have kicked in his heels and go, how I dare you ask me and say those things to me and people do that today, don't they? If you go to them with the gospel, they say, get away from me. He says, for the sake of the works himself. But the problem here is, and it's pointed out, that John says to us, the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. He gave us understanding. And would you believe we live in a world who do not have understanding? Let me show you. The question was asked. To a lot of people, and I'm sorry if the, if, if the audio is not good enough, but listen carefully what people react if you ask, ask them on the street, who the Son of God is. It can be known intuitively. You say, why did you show this to us this morning? For brothers and sisters, we are sitting in this church, and sometimes we're in a bubble. We mix with children of God. And I say, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And 100% in this place will say, yes, we do. But there's a world out there, and that is what they say. Billions of them. That's what they say. How privileged are we this morning? How, how privileged are? How privileged are we? How privileged are we this morning? Can I say it again? How privileged are we this morning to sit here? Not because of your own right of what you have done, but by the grace of God that we can say, Jesus. Can you see now when he says, We know that the Son of God has come? We have got a certainty. Have these people got a certainty about it? They don't. But you see, the Bible talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 13. These things we also speak, Paul says to them, not in words of man's wisdom teaches, but with The Holy Spirit teaches. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man. I've shown you a lot of natural people today. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them. Nor can he know them. But you and I know him. And my question is, do you? Here is one of the biggest problems in the church today. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. Christians are falling asleep under the preaching of the Word. What we've seen there is darkness in the world. You go in and you preach Christ to them, it's the light. It regenerates their hearts. It shakes them up. But we in the church need to sit and then grow in the Word of God. This is our responsibility. He says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The works of Jesus gave us understanding. And the ability to know Him gave us understanding of who God is and how God works. We cannot attain this understanding out of our own. We can't. It says it there again in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Here, Paul prays for that church in Ephesus. It's a prayer that I want to pray for each and everyone in this church. It's a prayer that you need to pray for everyone in this church. It's a prayer that you need to pray for pastors. It's a prayer that you need to pray for your children. It's the same prayer that Paul prays here. He, prays. he says, Lord, that you may give... Uh, I pray the Lord that He may give you the spirit of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? From above. James says, wisdom comes from above. He says, I pray that you give the people a spirit of wisdom. There's a lot of people in the world without wisdom. There's a lot of people in the church without wisdom. And then He also says, and the revelation, the revelators, Dios revelators, the revelation about God, that is the Latin for it, in the knowledge of Him, And here, John says the same. We know that the Son of God has come to give us what? Understanding. If there's one thing you remember today as you walk out, you go, man, he he hammered on the word understanding. Yes, I want to. Because we need to understand. The understanding. uh, uh, He says the revelation of him, that your eyes in your understanding might be enlightened. The only reason why you and I sit here is because your understanding is being enlightened by God and the Holy Spirit that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the riches of His glory, and the inheritance of the saints. Three things. That's a separate message, by the way. Let's continue on and finish off this morning. Now, He uses the word there in 1 John chapter 5. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Who's got understanding this morning? You all have to put up their hands. But that's a question you need to ask yourself. Our Lord, how much understanding do I have? And you know what? This is the amazing thing from God. He will not cast His pearls before the swine. There's a scripture verse like that. He will give understanding as much as you grow. As much as you grow, bit by bit, He will give you understanding. Now, listen to me carefully. That does not mean that if you have gone a long way and God is giving you a lot of understanding, it makes you a better Christian than those who He's still working on. You see, this is the gospel of humility. So wonderful. I love it. He says, and God has come and has given us understanding that we may know. I just want to quickly talk to you about that word, know there. Because if I ask you, do you know him? Yeah, a lot of people say, yes, I know him. But you know how they know him? They've heard of him. I mean, generally speaking, a lot of people in the world today, if you mention Jesus, they will know him. How will they know him? They've heard of him. This is not the know he uses yet. He uses a unique word there. He says, genisko. That's the Greek word. That speaks of a knowledge with experience. Brother, sister, you need to experience Christ. It's not just reading, it's experiencing Him. You say, wow, that's personal. Yes, I want to become personal. How do you experience Him? You read your words and you pray for the Holy Spirit to open it up. And the Holy Spirit of God will give you that experience the Son of God. This is how Jesus wants us to know Him. And let me just say, this is the most clear statement of the whole deity of Christ in the New Testament, this passage here. We finish off this morning with His last words in verse 21. He says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. It's interesting, when when He writes this whole letter, and we've gone through this letter for how many months now, Glenn? A few months, isn't it? And we've tagged on this little series of last five about what we know. All of those things. He comes to the very, very last verse. And he writes this. He says, little children, which means my beloved children. He loved them so much. He finds it necessary to say, keep yourselves from idols. He finds it necessary to do that. Because the thing is, many things can take God's place in your lives. It doesn't have to be a little statue. I came from Thailand just recently. In Thailand they have statues there. I went to Bali. In Bali when you walk around they've got statues there and they bow to statues. I went to Vietnam. In Vietnam you walk around and they've got little statues there. I went to Singapore. We were in Singapore a couple of weeks ago and James can tell you as well. They've got temples there and statues there physical. And people come by the thousands, thousands, and they bow to the statues, and they burn incense to the statues. And and, and the problem is, we can sit here in the church and say, oh, we don't do that. We don't do that. We don't go. Even in Hong Kong when I come there, there's statues there. Oh, brother, sister, we are more. We take the moral high ground. We're not going to bow to a statue. But the problem here is, friends, it's anything that takes God's place in your life. It doesn't have to be a little statue. It is what you spend most of your time with. That can become an idol to you. For some people, even their husbands can be the idol of the wife, and the wife the idol of the husband. It's anything that takes God's place in your life, becomes an idol. So don't be confused here about oh I don't have anything of those in my house it's any one of those the enemy to fellowship with God is idolatry defense that's the enemy of the fellowship of God because it says when John started writing these letters then in the first chapter in the first paragraphs. he says if we have fellowship with God who do we have fellowship with with each other if that fellowship breaks down this fellowship breaks down and what breaks that fellowship down? Idol worship. And then you see people just disappear. Like I say, this includes anything that substitutes for the true faith and anything that denies Christ's full deity and any other thing that it could be. Uh, it was amazing. I read this story about a, a Japanese warlord back in the day. His name was Heidi Yoshi. That's a name for you. Hideyoshi, you have to say it with impetus. Not Hideyoshi, it's Hideyoshi. Okay, so Hideyoshi, this man loved Buddha and he took 50,000 men and he said he's going to build the biggest Buddha in Kyoto. If you talk Japanese, then you've got to put in the impetus. Okay, I'm going to do that. So he took 50,000 men, five years to build this work, the sacred work in 1965, 1596. And they brought the roof of the shrine and a storm came up and he just (laughs) collapsed onto it. So this warlord, Heidi Yossi, he got so mad. And Heidi Yossi took his uh, bow and arrow and he walked up to the Buddha and he took it and he said, And Heidi Yossi shot one of his arrows right into the Buddha there. And they said, what do you do this? He said, well, if this God can't even look after himself, how is he going to look after me? He didn't say the hey. I put that in, okay? (laughs) But that's the thing, dear friends. I could have gone to Hideyoshi and said to him, there's a God in the Old Testament, or a God called Dagon. And you know what they did with that God? They put it next to the altar, and no hands touched it. Hideyoshi. And it fell over. Hey! (laughs) Because he's dead. He's dead. Brothers and sisters, keep yourselves from idols. This is not a new concept. Psalm 135 verse 15. The idols of the nations are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. Don't miss that last part. The work of men's hands can become an idol. Isaiah 31 verse 7. For in that day for in that day. Can you just call it? Peony? I'm just finished. In that day every man shall throw, his, uh, throw away his idols in silver and his idols of gold. Sin. Which your own hands have made for yourself. I think it's good this morning if we think about everything we do, we submit it to Christ. Think about it again. Everything we do, we submit to Christ. Because Paul writes this, he says there is going to be a fire who's going to burn what you've built. Some of you are building with wood and hay. And you know what fire do with wood and hay? We use wood and hay to build a fire. But silver and precious metal, we put it in the fire. We don't build a fire with, with precious metal. And when the heat gets turned up, what happens with precious metal? It gets purified. The dross comes to the top. The infirmities come to the top. And the master builder comes around and he scoops it off. And what do you see Underneath. You see the purified metal. Brother, sister, let His Holy Spirit turn up the heat in your life so that the dross comes to the top and the Holy Spirit scoops it off. And what is left? He says it in there. I'm, this is not foreign. That should not be foreign what I'm saying to you. If you read your Bible, it shouldn't be foreign. You should know this. Because in the Bible, He says it in these words. He says He changes us to become into the image of who? of his son in the image he changes you day by day to become like Jesus no, 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 we're not going to become small messiahs walking around here that's rubbish teaching, okay let's name it what it is no, no, he changes us That so when we see him we will be like him does that excite you? I leave you with these words of John we know that the son of God has come Who knows that? Can you wave with your hands? Today even more than yesterday. And He came to do what? To give us understanding about the deity. Heavenly Father, we thank You this morning for Your Word. We thank You for the clarity of Your Word, Father.